Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Rouleur is the world's finest magazine of cycling and cycling culture. Established in 2006, Rouleur interviews the world's biggest cycling names and covers the world's biggest cycling races. Visit our website at rouleur.cc and subscribe to support our in-depth features, long reads, independent journalism, stunning photography and immersive cycling coverage. I'm Edward Pickering, I'm the editor of Rouleur and this is Rouleur Conversations. We've got a special treat for listeners to Ruler Conversations this week. It's the second in our series of interviews from the recent Ruler Live. We continue with multiple Olympic and world champion Chris Hoy talking about his career to Matt Stevens. Chris Hoy is a legend of British and world cycling who, like Geraint Thomas, who featured in our last episode, is famously well-adjusted and down-to-earth. But a personable exterior hides a fiercely competitive individual who fought his way to the top at the very forefront of the British cycling revolution of the 2000s and stubbornly maintained his winning record. Chris tells us the real reason he missed out on setting the world kilometre record and reminisces about his career and the riders who influenced him. They also talk about Lotus, a company who have been an integral part of the British cycling success story. Lotus showed their extraordinary Type 136 e-bike at Rouleau Live and it was without doubt one of the most eye-catching displays in the show. And to pay homage to the brand's heritage, they also showed the legendary Type 108, upon which Chris Boardman won Olympic gold in 1992. It's a bike that is close to the hearts of many British cycling fans and still stands out as a masterpiece of design and engineering. So, without further ado, here is Matt Stevens' stage talk with Chris Hoy, How Team GB Conquered the World. Hello everybody. Welcome to uh, Rulo Live, yet another edition. I hope you've been enjoying yourselves so far. Thanks very much indeed for coming along and completely filling the auditorium. This is absolutely wonderful. The gentle hubris behind as well just adds to the atmosphere. In the next half an hour or so, I'm going to be chatting with a chap that uh, I've chatted with quite a lot over the last few weeks. Actually, We're quite well versed at being in each other's company and waffling on about bike racing and everything that's wonderful about it. Today we're going to be talking a bit about the Olympic Games and we're also going to touch upon these rather wonderful machines that are either side of me. But uh, it doesn't really need too much of an introduction, but it is in my contract that I mention it. Put your hands together for a big round of applause for Mr. Christopher Hoy. Sir Christopher Hoy. Thank you. Cheers, mate. Here we are. Hello. We're back. This is exciting, isn't it? We're back. Yeah, we've done a lot of this recently, haven't we? We're quite, we're quite au fait with each other's company, aren't we, and the way yes, things work. but hopefully not bored of each other. Well, let's, yeah. let's leave that for the audience to kind of maybe pick up on the, on the vibes. But, yeah, it should be fine. Yes. But, Chris, I don't think we can really 
talk about the Olympics and, and your inspirational role in the sport and the, the legacy you've left behind without something quite recent happening. And I was watching on Instagram the exploits of a certain Mr. Hoogland oh, breaking yes. the kilometre record, uh, a record you previously held yourself, including the, the 500 metre flying record too. Yeah. Thoughts on, on that rather... Public thoughts or private thoughts? Both. Both. Yeah. Uh, inner no, monologue and external anybody monologue. Anybody that says, yeah, I'm happy my record's been broken is, is talking nonsense. Of course, you want, you want your records to stand for as long as possible, um, but you're realistic because you know that sports evolve, riders get faster, times get quicker, and yeah, it was genuinely impressive, and he's a, he is a really nice guy, annoyingly. You know, he is... He's not someone that you can hate because he's a decent bloke. Jeffrey Hoogland, uh, one of the Dutch riders, he's an absolute monster on the bike. He knocks out sub one minute kilos at sea level without even really seemingly having to break sweat. He's, he is an absolute machine. And, and you see how the, well, the bikes have evolved over the last well, 16 years ago that I broke the record for the 500. Yeah, the bikes have evolved. Gear sizes have increased massively. And the understanding of aerodynamics as well, I think, is one of the biggest reasons for the faster times. But incredible, 55.4 seconds. So 64 k's an hour average speed from a standing start for 1,000 meters. It's, it's, it's hard to really get your head around. Um, it is. And when you break down the splits of what you've got to do to get that end time, it's incredible. So I missed the records. I went for it in 2007 in, in La Paz in Bolivia, uh, an outdoor track, a 333-metre track. Not the best track, it's how, quite bumpy. How high is that? How high is Bolivia? Uh, it's it, pretty well, the, the, the airport is at 4,000 metres. So, so you, you, yeah. you, you land in, it's the highest city in the world, and you fly in, and the runway is famously, I don't know, I think it's nearly twice as long as most, as most runways because they need that well, length. Because the air is thinner, isn't it? Yeah, less, less air density. The planes just can't take off. So long runway, you land in. And the first time you really notice the altitude is you get to pick up your bag from the, the carousel and you pick up your bag and you walk up like a set of three or four steps and you're kind of out of breath. You know, it's, it's, un it's unbelievable how the lack of oxygen and just how much it affects you. But when you're doing just a really short effort that's only or less than a minute, you're working anaerobically anyway. You're not using oxygen. So it's all about the air density. Go as fast as you can, reach as high a peak speed as you can and then you hang on. But I, I tried it on the first day. The weather was a bit ropey. It was 12 degrees, a bit windy. So you tried this on day one? Cause day one, yeah. Cause we basically arrived. So you, the, the key thing is, you, you, when you get to altitude, your body starts to react in a negative way to the altitude. You've got to move quickly. You've got to get out, do the, do the record attempt before your body starts to adapt. We were told, I wasn't doing a record set when I went to altitude, but I was told to just take things slowly. And of course, being 25, I didn't, uh, and got <laughs> yeah. altitude sickness quite quickly. Oh. So that's quite interesting. So yeah, you, you can either go out and stay for two weeks or three weeks, and, and, a, and you have a, a sort of a, a negative effect, then you plateau, right. and then you come back out, and actually you can be beyond that. But it was a privately funded attempt. So we didn't have the full GB support. We didn't have coaches, mechanics, team managers, logistics. It was my mum and dad, Scott Gardner, who was our, the team, the GB team physiologist. He so the, was ba the bank of mum and dad? Well, well, kind to of. be fair, my dad went out and sort of cap in hand trying to get sponsorship. We got fair DHL, play. Guy yep. Elliott from DHL. He was uh, a massive supporter. He shipped a start gate from Manchester out to Bolivia because they didn't have one. We had to pay for a UCI official to come and time it. You know, sort of Norris McWhorter, Guinness Records kind yeah. of guy standing there with a stopwatch. And it was very much a shoestring budget. So we did it for next to nothing. Scott Gardner, as I mentioned before, he, he did everything. He was a coach, physio, mechanic, 
funny part of the story, or funny depending on the way you look at it, um, after the record attempt, which I missed, I tried it twice, I missed the kilo record by five thousandths of a second. Oh, so are you, are you bitter? <laughs> Not as, you know, occasionally I have a day where I don't think about it, uh, Matt, say, but, uh, but afterwards, I was on the flight back to Miami on the way home, and I, well, I think it was cyclingnews.com, looked at the, you know, some of the reports on it, and there were a few comments, people saying, oh, it's interesting that the, the Brits are now riding their five-spoke, the Mavic five-spoke, the wrong way around, because that must be, they must have found some aerodynamic gains in running it back to front. <laughs> and you look at the pictures, you can see, because it is, it's not a symmetrical design, the, the, the no, Mavic IO. Yeah. And it was on back to front. And I looked at the wheel, and the sticker was the right way around, the arrow pointing direction. The, the, we'd put it on the right way, but the sticker was on the wrong side. Right. Now, some would say it's a French manufacturer, a French wheel, and it was a French record holder that I was trying to beat, but, you know... <laughs> Wow. Lots Conspiracy theorists. Well, no. so clearly, all these so, year, years later, you're just not bothered yeah. really about it. Yeah, <laughs> not even yeah, I barely even thought about it, Matt. Yeah. No, no. But, um, yeah, so I, missed, so I missed the kilo. That was the one I wanted. It was, it was tough to get that close and not to get the record. And then went back to the hotel, and that was it. I was, I was physically exhausted from the two days in a row. The altitude was starting to kick in, the altitude sickness. And then I got a call from the track saying, well, look, the, the clouds have cleared. The temperatures raised about five or six degrees. Which is important as well. Really yeah. important. Yeah. The, the wind has dropped. Because we've been told the mornings were the best time to go for, you know, the weather was best in the morning and it usually got windy in the afternoon. But it had been the opposite that day. So they said, do you want to go again? And I was, I was genuinely kind of on my knees. I thought, I'm not going to go any Blimey. quicker. They said, well, why don't you go for the 500 record? And I thought, right, it's not a standing start. It's half the distance. But it's, I want to get something but for the isn't trip. Isn't it arguably a bit harder? Because you've, you've got to go a little bit harder. Yeah. Or is it pretty much a similar kind of effort? I, it's a similar kind of effort, but it's, I think psychologically it's easier. Because yeah. it's just, you know, once you've got your speed up and once you're going, your, your momentum's much, you're, you're going much faster for a flying and, effort. And also, I, th I think it's fair to say, just on a quick, quick tangent here, when you're torturing yourself, mm -hmm. 30 seconds is like half an hour, isn't it? I mean, time does actually slow down in, yeah. in, in, in a sort of a way. I think it, in the kilo, it's the last 20 seconds that really hurt. So that's, that's the, the first 30, you're, you're so full of adrenaline and you do have the, you know, you, because you're working anaerobically, you've got, a, you know, whatever, you've got a reserve of energy, which is after 30 seconds rapidly depleting. Right. And then the pain is, is kind of coming up, you know, the opposite direction. And after, yeah, 35 seconds, 40 seconds, you're really starting to feel it. And the last 10 seconds are just horrible, really. You train as hard as you can. You put yourself through ridiculous lactate tolerance sessions to try and delay that onset of lactic acid from, from maybe a second or two seconds to m maintain that momentum for the last, the last lap. But anyway, I got, went back to the track and I broke the record, did a 24-7. So I had something to take away from that trip. And it was, you know, a, a unique trip because it wasn't a fully funded, fully supported event. Really happy memories. Richard Moore, the late Richard Moore, um, the journalist and close friend, he was there with Brendan Gallagher covering it. John Graham and Jill Douglas from the BBC came out and we did a, a little documentary about it. I'm sure it's out there somewhere on yeah. YouTube or something. But just a really close group of friends and family and, and it was like, a, like an old school adventure. You yeah. know, it was really, really special. So yeah, it's nice when you see someone now attempting the record, because people, a bit like the hour record, it kind of goes flat for a while, it goes quiet, and then out the blue, there's a flurry of activity. Yeah. So, great to see Jeffrey do so well. He got the, the kilo record, and he broke the 500 by a couple of tenths. So, um, 
Yeah, it's, 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 it gives you a chance to sit back and reflect and be a real, you know, front, kind of, yeah, of hundreds of people. boring folk about yeah. the old days. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's nice. So, back to the old days, really. Mm. Um, although we're looking at the future there, mm. we're looking at the past here, which we'll touch on in a few minutes' time. Chris, do you have a reflect on your quite ridiculous legacy? <laughs> I mean, it is a ridiculous legacy. It's a wonderful one. And he speaks so eloquently about it. And the, the word passion in our, in our sport, I think, is used maybe a bit too, uh, too frequently. But you clearly still live it and breathe it. But do you, like, you're looking back on, on some wonderful times here. But Haven't aged a day, you, really, you know. You're looking quite good, <laughs> especially in this light. Jason Kenny, he's just a boy. He's just a boy. It's all the makeup I've got on, that's what it is. <laughs> but do you ever, do you ever sit in a, in a moment, oh, you're a very busy bloke. You've got family and stuff, of course. You've got a lot of other things on, on your plate to keep you busy. But are there any moments where you do look back and you think, Blimey, especially coming up to the Olympics next year as well, because obviously Olympics is what you lived, lived and you know lived and breathed, wasn't it? For so yeah. long, all these Olympic cycles, the World Championships mm-hmm. in between, that's now gone mm-hmm. in terms of that rhythm. But you're a person that likes discipline. You like to have to focus and a structure to what you do. But in moments of reflection, you look back and think, I was quite a good bike rider. <laughs> do you know, I mean, six Olympic gold medals. It's is it eleven or ten? I keep forgetting. Yeah, it's World 11. Championships. You won. Yeah, I, thought you, I thought you did your homework, Matt. Come well, on. I, we I can't. A, did, we I had mean, chats over the last few weeks. When you get to you those know. numbers, they're all kind of the same. You know, but but yeah, like, it's eleven, <laughs> ten, whatever. I think you get to the end of your career, and then you have a, a sort of a flurry of retirement events, and you have that's your chance to kind of reflect. But then, and then the dust settles, and then. Life moves on in terms of you're not a full-time professional athlete anymore. And what is scary is when you look back at like that trip to, to La Paz in Bolivia, that was 16 years ago. And wow. you start, you know, you can't, I can't believe it's 16 years, but I just feel so fortunate because I, let's say as a 16-year-old sitting in Ile de Ré in France with a little radio going, had BBC World Service, trying to tune in to get any news about Chris Boardman in Barcelona to find out what was happening. And then the, the final came on against, you know, Jens Lehmann, Chris Borben, 1992, on that exact bike. And we sat there, my dad and me sat and listened to the radio. And, you know, within a, about a lap and a half, it was obvious that he was going to win the gold medal. And not only that, he was going to catch Jan, Jens Lehmann. And it was the first gold medal in cycling for Britain for 72 years. As a 16-year-old, that was utterly inspiring because Britain was seen as a bit of a C-grade nation and you know we had the odd individual totally. athlete that was doing well but there was no support there, was, there wasn't the funding there wasn't the, there weren't the facilities so it was a it was a pipe dream to think that you could follow in the footsteps or to, to create to have any yeah. success and then Chris went out with the support of Peter Keane and Lotus Mike Burrows with this I mean it looks futuristic now, and it's it 30 years it just, old. It's unbelievable you know how, how, how groundbreaking it was. This is, I mean, I think this and Graham O'Brien's Old Faithful, to me, are the most special bikes in the whole world. Oh, yeah, you, you, you are, you're not just in front of history here. This, this bicycle, I didn't actually realise, because it's only got one fork as well, mm. which makes it even, even more It's the offset the wheels. For the, for the, the yeah, credit that's sitting up there, you'll probably see it. The rear wheel is offset it is. to the front wheel. Asymmetric, I think, is yeah. the is the. I don't think it was intentional. I think they couldn't, they couldn't get it lined up. There was a reason why, because we were all like, oh, there's a reason behind it. I think <laughs> I like in the that. end... I don't it's, it's, it's on the skew, basically. <laughs> but he managed to keep it on the black line, and still, you know, he did all right, considering. But, but, quick uh, story, because I, I did that games, not in the track team, in the road team, and... Um, we watched... I'd, All right, you know, yeah, we're not going about but it. I just, I'm giving you my little story because it's funny. It might be funny. We were sponsored at that time, or the GB team, by Heineken beer and Snickers and Mars bar. 
Makes I mean, sense. I'm 22. Make... I'd already done the road race. Living the dream. Living the dream around the Olympic Village. Chris does his event. We're watching it, and he wins. I didn't go to the velodrome, but he wins. Comes in a few hours later. He basically rehydrated on, on one of the sponsored drinks, Heineken. So he did quite a chipper mood, I think it's fair to say. <laughs> uh, I remember him sat there. We were around the swimming pool, and my dad was there as well. Um, and, and Chris was there just swaying around, and he went up to his Heineken bottle, and he had his gold medal and just stuck the label of the Heineken <laughs> bottle. And, I, and I, again, it was just they were halcyon days, different days, yeah. but like the memories. The and, and also the fact that, no, Chris, this bike still has an enormous, enormous relevance now, doesn't it? And it mm. kind of does lead us on to the second part of the conversation. But I don't want to go there just yet. Yeah. Because I want to look back. Talked about you reflecting on your, on your legacy. And you kind of did skirt it a bit. But you've been an inspiration to so many people. And what, what do you think, moving into the next Olympic Games 2024 in Paris, there's a lot of pressure on Team GB from a cycling perspective because of what we've achieved in the past, or what you've achieved as part of the, the wider team in the past. And that's a big burden to carry. But what do you think was, not the secret, but the essence of the success? Where did that come from, do you think, which you were part of? You can't sum it up with one, one idea or one, or one answer. It's, it's the people. You've got to have the right people. It's the timing of it all. The right athletes, the right attitudes. When you, you know, it doesn't matter whether you go to your corporate talk and you speak to businesses, you speak to different industries outside of sport. Everybody's like, how do you create a winning culture? How do you start this mentality, this belief? How do you get everybody on side? And it's, I think it was, a, there was an opportunity. I think there was, there was this, not quite an open goal, but I think a, a lot of teams weren't really looking at all the finer details. And I think British Cycling, initially with Peter Keane and with Chris, they were ahead of their time in terms of the science behind it. And, you know, when Chris went to GAN as a road professional, and he came in with these strange ideas like, you know, using liquid nutrition instead of, you know, stopping and eating a sandwich halfway yeah. around. You know, it, aerodynamics, you know. Training go, smart. Yeah, yeah. you know, the, like Greg LeMond, you know. I think it was riders who weren't part of the continental European setup. Which is quite conservative. Which was time, very conservative and very traditional. And to come in with these different ideas when it's like, well, who, who are you to come in with these different ideas? And I think the British team... Because it was track, because it was you know it wasn't part of this traditional setup. It was like, well, let's look at every possible area within the budget we've got. How can we spend this little pot of money we've got? It started with the national lottery coming on board in 1998, when that that became a you know a source of income or yep. source of funding. It meant that well, cycling put his hand up and said, can we have some of that big pot of money? Chris Borman had won the gold in Barcelona. Max Yandri and Chris got medals in Atlanta, so that meant that cycling got a relatively big piece of the pie. And instead of then going, right, well, let's spread it thinly, let's get grassroots, let's you know, fund the juniors and fund... It was like, no, we're going to fund a few of the riders that have got a realistic chance of winning yeah. immediately because then we'll get an even bigger piece of the pie after Sydney and then we can start building the foundations. But instead of doing the, the, the foundation of the pyramid and building up, we'll go straight to the top. Yeah. Most sports did the opposite. So cycling got a, a head start on other sports, got more funding. With that funding, then you could start putting into putting into play all these different ideas of, well, equipment, facilities, coaching, aerodynamics. Yep. I mean, they were at the forefront of really thinking about wind tunnel testing. And um, you look at it now, it's wind tunnel testing is available to most riders. Most club-level yep. riders can go down, book a session at the wind tunnel. You can buy aero sensors on your bike. You yeah, can measure CD measure in real CD. time. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So it's, there's so many steps that have gone on now. And I think British Cycling just got in there ahead of 
other teams. Yeah. And, and now you see that the, a lot of the, the, the knowledge has filtered into other nations, other professional teams. You look at the Tour de France, a lot of the stuff that we were doing with equipment and our you know, positions and even, aero, even bars on regular bars. You look back in the days, everyone used to ride 42 centimeter, 44 centimeter bars. And we were one of the first to, to start riding 28s and 32s on the track. And people were saying, well, you can't get leverage, you can't climb, yeah. you, you can. Yeah. And everyone's using narrow bars now. So it's, it's the very long-winded answer, or the short answer to the long-winded answer is, it's everything brought together. And, and you know, the old marginal gains thing, that's been, um, that's a, the, the tagline for every single possible area, trying to optimize if it's a tiny improvement, and even things you can't quantify, you know, whether it's bringing your own mattress to the hotel and putting it on the yeah. bed, sleeping in your own bed every night, whether it's the, the heated pants, which you brought out in London before this. Little things that you can't quantify, but you, all you do is you try and get to the start line knowing you've done everything within your powers to be the best you can be, and then you, it's down to you. So when you look back at, upon, I mean, looking at images from London there, where you ended up, obviously wing another couple of gold medals. What's, actually, looking back over all of your Olympic success and your world championship success, it must be very difficult, and no doubt, because I've asked this question before, we've got a different audience, but I think it's important that I ask it you again, and I might be getting a different answer, <laughs> although I won't know because I didn't write it down. If you could relive mm, another moment good of question. your career, what would it be? It, I think it would have to be this one that you've got on the screen behind me here. That's the London 2012 Kieran, because it was the last one, because it was the home support, because it was... The nature of the event, it's, you know, there's six of us in the final and it's, it's a gambling sport in Japan, that's where the event originated. It's, even if you're in good form, even if you know how to ride under pressure, all that stuff, you've got the best bike, the best equipment, you don't know that you're going to win. And it's that tension, that pressure and that, that excitement and all the crowd waiting. And, and just before that final, Victoria Pendleton had been up in the final against Anna Mears. And I think everyone expected the script to go Vicky's way and, and for her to win her whatever third gold medal. And, and she didn't. Anna Mears won it. And the, the, you could feel in the atmosphere just went, oh, you know, just a little bit of a, oh. Just heaping a bit more expectancy on your shoulders, and, though. Yeah, and it was like, well, this is the last event of the track program. I knew it was my last Olympic appearance. And it was like, do you know what? This is it. This is what all the, the physical effort, all the sitting with Steve Peters once a week, going through the different mental strategies to deal with the pressure to focus on what I had control over to not worry about all the, the chaos around me and yeah even if you know that you're, you're physically able to do it and that you, you have done it before to do it when it counts in that one moment um, and it, you know you're reminding yourself that it's just a bike race that it's, you're trying to get perspective you're trying to play it down but deep within you, you know it's this is it. This, yeah. this it's like the it's like the last scene in a film. It's like when you're watching Rocky or Karate Kid or something. Or ET. Or ET, which inspired yeah. me. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, there's something about that. I, I remember walking on the track and thinking, "This is it. This is the moment." And trying Did you have to a enjoy theme it. tune in your head at that time. <laughs> I had well, I had the Chemical Brothers. I, I used to listen to Chemical Brothers right before I went up on the track. I'm seeing them tomorrow night, actually. I'm going um, as well. Yeah. Are you? Yeah. Are you? Yeah. I'll see you there. <laughs> <laughs> We'll have a chat. Yeah, we'll talk about that in a minute. Yeah, yeah. Right. Um, wonderful stuff. Because, Chris, you're, you're so... We kind of need another half an hour, really. But because I waffle too much. I could just be a bit more succinct you, with you, my answers. You, you, you do... I mean, you're just good at talking. It's a little bit annoying, <laughs> to be honest with you. All the heavy lifting, but all the good heavy lifting. These bikes. So we talked a little bit about this Lotus. It's, this is the 108. Yeah. We're looking to your left, to mm. this brand new machine that was launched just a couple of days ago. Yeah. It's the 136. You can have a closer look if you haven't already. No doubt a lot of you have. It's out on a stand on a 
wonderful stand just outside the auditorium here. So please go and have a little look. Um, I believe there's been quite a few pre-orders already. Yeah. But can you just give us a sense, uh, as succinctly as you can within seven minutes, uh, of the genesis of this yeah. amazing-looking futuristic machine, which is a road bike, but it's also an e-bike as well. It's completely interchangeable. Yeah, well, a lot of manufacturers, car manufacturers, I think, are recognising the crossover between cars and motoring and cycling, and they're, they're sort of like, well, you know, we can maybe make a bike and stick our badge on it and... You know, and I think it's easy to do, isn't people it? People are quite smart. You know, you can yeah. you can sniff out uh, an authentic bike, or you can sniff out a kind of badging exercise. And this is the the other end of the scale from a, a cynical marketing exercise. This is this is authentic, and it stems from the Type 108, the Type 110, which Chris rode in the the time trial in the Tour de France, and yep. he won you know the yellow jersey in through to the the Hope the, the Lotus Hope bike that the the guys rode in. Tokyo at the Olympics. Which this um, is more aesthetically similar yes, to, isn't it? In so terms of the forks and the rear stays. Yeah, the rear stays and the, the kind of design influences come from that track. So track-inspired bike, really. It's absolutely stunning to look at, but I've, I've ridden it. I've been very lucky enough to have a bit of a play on it. Did you use the E version? Yes. On the bottom bracket, you can basically unscrew and drop out this motor. There's like a... An, uh, it's based on... You need know, Danny Barnes up to give you all the exact technical details of it, yeah. but it's... A very lightweight battery, which the bike goes from being 7.8 kilos to being about 9.8 or 9.7. very light for, for an e-bike, for, though, isn't For it? a proper e-bike. So there's a button up there. You can, you can choose when to use the power, or you can have it as a purely mechanical bike. Um, the, the reason they're doing that, people say, well, why would you want a fully aerodynamic, lightweight e-bike? Surely the motor does all that for you. But it's, I think a lot of the e-bikes become so heavy that, yeah, you can add more power, but they're just a bit cumbersome. Yep. They don't handle the same. It just, it, they don't feel as good. And I think this is, having ridden it, you know, I'm 47 years of age now. I'm not quite as fit as I used to be. And it means that... Well, you were in Scotland the other week, mate. Well, tell thanks you, for you. You're too kind. Um, me in the Hurt Locker. But, <laughs> but to be able to, honestly, if, if, in terms of... I'm not just saying this. It's, it's an absolutely wonderful thing to ride. And you have the flexibility, the, the choice of, well, you can have it either way. Or because it's so light, you, don't act, you can have the motor in there and just not use it and keep it for if you're struggling on the way home or you've got a headwind, just, just put the motor on for a bit and you know, take the pressure off your legs. Or you can go out with someone like you know, one of the, the current pros and you can actually keep, keep up, up with them. And, yeah, like we did in, in LeBlanc. Potentially. <laughs> yeah. Potentially. In theory. It, it does. It is a, it's a thing of real beauty, isn't mm. it? I think the key thing is there's a lot of design that is purely for aesthetics. And Lotus have always gone for the form follows function. So they designed the bike to be aerodynamic, to, to handle well, to perform. And then the design fits around that. And then the design looks beautiful because it's, it's authentic. And this is exactly the same. So it's, you know, I, as a kid, as a teenager, I sat and lusted after this Type 108. And by the time I got to the stage where I would have been competing, and if, if Lotus had a bike in my career, I would have probably ridden it, that there wasn't one. And then I retire, and they bring out the Lotus Hope, and then this one. Yeah. So this was, uh, for, I've waited for 30 years to try and ride a Lotus. So I rode this for the first time, and it, doesn't, it, it didn't disappoint. It was just, it was quite a, a special moment for me because all that time, desperate to, to emulate one of my heroes, Chris, Chris Boardman, and I got to go and have a, have a go in this. So, yeah, pretty special. And I love the, I love the old black and gold. It's classic, isn't it? Colouring. It does. It's great, isn't it? It, yeah. it's, uh, it takes them back to the... Do you think I've done enough for them to give me a bike? I've been... Uh... I don't know. I mean, <laughs> I'll, I'll be honest with you, you've got another three minutes and 32 seconds <laughs> to give it your best shot, really, yeah, Chris, yeah. and then uh, you might get a premium I don't know if there's any anybody discount. from Lotus that might, you know, be listening, but yeah. Because it, it's, like you said, without 
you know, we're promoting a brand here. Let's, let's mm. make no bones about it. But it, when, when you look at what BC have done, British Cycling, over the years mm. in terms of it, innovating and coming up with a brand new machine, mm. this, I think it's fair to say, was a quantum leap mm. in terms of leading edges, the way that the forks are designed. The, the, the back end is probably the most radical design we've ever seen on a, on a bike. And yeah. that, that bike is like that because, quite simply, it's the fastest way to yeah. cut through the air on, yeah. on a, on so a frame reason, that we know. The reason you have, it's not just like, let's make it look really futuristic. There's, there's a reason for everything, like I was saying about the form-following function. So the, the reason you have these wide stays is that your, your legs, your calves, were going to be breaking the air, causing the turbulent air, and the stays will be following through that turbulent air. So it's basically trying to cut down the amount of, of air that is being broken up by the bike or body. And everything about it, you look at other, other bikes, yeah, they, they sort of try and copy designs or try and follow, but really Lotus has always been the one to, to lead the way. And it's probably the, it's the first bike, really, that your serious enthusiast could aspire to ride because all yeah. these other bikes have been only for professional riders or for national team members, Olympic-level riders. I mean, even I had friends in other teams. I had Theo Boss from the Dutch team desperately trying to get a Lotus before Tokyo, sort of trying to... <laughs> do you know anybody that can... I was like, nope. <laughs> nothing to do with me, mate. But, um, yeah, it's... Obviously, you know, they're not cheap, but, but the price reflects the, the standard of the yeah. bike. And therefore, for the serious enthusiast, the serious... The person who has many bikes, but actually they want the ultimate, you know, you can actually... You can buy it. There we go. Are you going to be hanging around for a bit afterwards? For, for riding it or...? or oh, just for, for, like, talking about it. Are you so, back, yeah, on, well, are you back I, on the stand I, a bit? Or are uh, you I am a bit. I think I'm way at half five. I think it's half five. Okay, I, well, I just do what I'm told, Matt. You know, yeah, okay. You, well, you what, same, what I'm trying to say is Chris is knocking about a little bit afterwards yeah. if you want to come and say hi. Yeah, of course. But, um, Chris, it, do you know what, mate? It's always an absolute pleasure. It, it really, really is. We are rapidly You've still got a minute and 16 to I was going to, to ask fill. you. I was going to actually ask you uh, your favourite Chemical Brothers song to wrap things up. Well... Pre-race, it was always Electrobank. So when oh, that's, that's, that's a banger. From, that's, that's a banger. From, yeah, late 90s, their second album, Dig Your Own Hole. Yep. Um, and there's a, it's a great video to it. I don't know if you've seen it. It's basically like a high school gymnastics competition. Yes. And it's, I think it's Spike Jones, or I'm not, sh I'm not sure who directed it, but it's, the Chemical Brothers are famous for brilliant videos as well as the music, and, um, and they always appear, little cameo roles. And they're at the very end of the video... It, it's the trophy cabinet it's in the high school, now. and there's a little black and white photo of the two of them in their basketball kit. And Ed, uh, Tom's got his long hair back then. He's not got long hair no. now. Yeah, it's just whenever I hear that track, it's just the hairs on the back of my arms stand up, and it brings you back to that sitting on the rollers with your ear, earpods in, warming up, just trying to get your head in that mind space where you're ready to, to perform. So, yeah, it's amazing what music can do and where it can bring you to um, and, and memories it can bring back. It certainly is. Well, look at that. 10-second countdown. Perfect timing, <laughs> as ever. Chris, it's been an absolute pleasure. Put your hands together for Sir Chris Hoy. Thank, Thank you. Thanks, Matt. Cheers, mate. Thanks, mate. Thank you very much. See you later. You have been listening to Ruler Conversations. Ruler Conversations is made by the editorial staff of Ruler Magazine. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter at Ruler and on Instagram at Ruler Magazine. Or visit our website at Ruler.cc. This edition of Ruler Conversations was produced by Joseph Perry of Content is Queen. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. 
and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.